it's it's been talked about plenty, and we don't need to um, really go into it in depth or length. But <laughs> we now know, uh, as I, I'm sure was predicted on this podcast, that a, a Jeff Bezos dick pic does exist. <laughs> uh, like <laughs> that's important, right? It was somebody that hacked him, right? And is, like, holding on to this, basically? I think so. That's the only yeah, way that, it could happen, right? That is, like, it hasn't been released. It's more of a, like... It's not, it's not yeah. a corp document. Yeah. <laughs> the, have it. the Daily Mail says they have it and won't release oh, it. Oh, the Daily Mail says they have yeah. it. Okay. Trashy mm. British tabloid. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so... <laughs> we live in the best news cycle. That's I, like... No, you know the... Uh, those documents that Snowden stole that... <laughs> <laughs> that they did, had to destroy. Mm-hmm. They like agreed to the mm-hmm. government's demands and had to like they like cut mm-hmm. it in half with a saw and then like threw like, it in plasma. A computer or something yeah. Too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're gonna have to do that. Is what I'm yeah. saying. I don't know. I think eventually we we will see it. It whether we want to or not. At some point, it will out. Like, well, what bigger innovator is there but like nature? So I mean. I think it should hang in the hallowed halls of the center. So to speak. I think the real problem is that Jeff Bezos is so mediocre that even his dick is just like the most mediocre, boring dick. And nobody's going to care when they see it. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's so much anticipation now, too. So you'd have to be special, I think, for it to matter. That's been some speculation about whether he's an alien or not. Perhaps that's good. Yeah, well, that's another thing we've uh, tried to keep up on is his quest to mate with an extraterrestrial, (laughs) and that's the dick pic I want to see. It's the one that's etched in gold and that has already been shot into space. Yeah, Uh, a complete with a complete like Mm -hmm. profile, Um, uh, genius level innovator, totally hairless. Yeah. <laughs> uh, according to the Seattle Times, started in a small garage in oh, Bellevue yeah, yeah. as well. That was be- a beautiful. ramshackle. Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, you gotta love these it. people in their fucking garages. Mm-hmm. Um, Glassy I... baby in her garage. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but she didn't make any of her glass in. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, like the extra real estate given to car car culture has created an economy of like garage innovation space that we'll all be thankful for for years to come (laughs) (laughs) i don't know that's that's this is a uh, this is a theory i'm working on let's come back to this uh, on episode episode 45 Two new years. Season yeah. two. Oh, season two. Yeah. Uh, Craig insists. Episode two. two of season two. I, I, I insist we keep track of that. <laughs> For some reason. Yeah. Are, are we doing this? Yeah. Okay, yeah. it's happening. So we have two special guests, too. Um, so I'm Colin. You probably recognize me. You just heard Greg. Hey, I'm Greg. Waxing something about garage space. <laughs> and two special guests, a return guest, Brian Platt. Welcome back. We're so pleased to have you. Thank and you. Mary, a historian and teacher in the area. 
and we're glad to have you. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for coming, guys. Thanks for coming back, Brian, our first returning yeah. guest. Yeah. yeah. Uh, That's uh, so special. Brian Platt, we, uh, we know you from Twitter, and uh, he's been... Jacobin. Uh, and he's, he's published in Jacobin, and he knows a lot about cops. It's a kind of a dark obsession of his <laughs> that <laughs> like, is actually... Um, borderline so, unhealthy. <laughs> somebody asked me this weekend how I got into this because I'd heard your podcast. They go, "How'd you get into that?" And I honestly had no answer. I, I was about to say something, and I was just like, <laughs> sighed deeply, <laughs> stared into the abyss. Oh my god! I mean, it all that... started with I think nine eleven and Alex Jones, and you mm. tapped that well yeah. as far as you could. The second George Bush did nine eleven, <laughs> I, I had to get out on this. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, you were just telling us, uh, both of you, that you were, like, anti-war before it was cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. Way back in the day in Texas. Uh, yeah, we like, were in Crawford in 2004, the one-year anniversary of the invasion yeah. of Iraq. We were, in, yeah. we were at George Bush's ranch. We really showed him. Uh, the locals came out. I think they had a good time. I think uh, I, I, I probably saw a picture of you on, like, Daily Coast or Huffpo or something. I was on a seven foot tall unicycle. Um, <laughs> I was hoping it was so like. Did Huffpo exist? Like that, that scene in Roma? I think it did. Yeah, yeah by 2002, probably. Yeah. He was lighting trees on fire or something, <laughs> shooting guns out back. And yeah. yeah. Infiltrate. That was the first time I ever saw Alex Jones in the flesh, too. Yeah, so they had stole the mic. Yeah, they held these speakers. Whoa. I think they're waiting for Ralph Nader to show. This is how well, yeah, this is, gives you a real sick. slice of the time. And Ralph Nader was sick and was flying in, yeah. and he spoke anyways. And I, did, I remember looking at you and being bad. like, Ralph Nader will be dead within the year. He looked <laughs> awful. He looked like he was already dead. He gave a great speech. But oh. Yeah, but bold, bad. while people are waiting, this big husky guy gets on the stage and Very just starts bad. going. Do you guys know about the globalists? <laughs> the globalists in the war? And I think I may even at that time I knew who he was because of stupid Lubbock. And I was like, that's Alex Jones. <laughs> Let's see where this what goes. What was his presence at that point? He had a radio show had the radio nationally show syndicated? It was in Austin. I don't I know if it was, was nationally syndicated. Really? Yeah, so it was big in the state. Oh, yeah. We knew yeah. this. Whoa. Like, I remember yeah. watching. Richard Linklater movies and him being in them, like, yeah. early stuff. Just... I think the, the Iraq War stuff is what made him, like, a national yeah. character. Yeah. But, a thought leader. A thought leader. Mm-hmm. But the 9-11 stuff happened, and I remember the regular anti-war movement, the normals, <laughs> the normies, we were out there, like, trying to, like, say, like, hey, I think, you know, going to war in Afghanistan is bad. <laughs> like, all the future <laughs> things that are about to happen are bad. And I just remember these kids would come up, college kids, right? You know, I was a college kid at the time, too. But they would come to these meetings and be like, oh, uh, did you know that like World Trade Center 7 had to be a controlled demolition? <laughs> and, and, and that's how I was introduced to Alex Jones, just being like, what the fuck is happening just, right now? You heard, you heard <laughs> clinging of change in people's pockets. Yeah. <laughs> Thankfully, I didn't have to watch the, uh, the, documentary. the documentary until years later. Uh, Did you ever have to talk anyone down after watching that documentary? Yeah, have you had that so experience? Many people, mm-hmm. So many people. Yeah. That, that was so big in Texas. Uh, you all know. Uh, you don't even know. Even here, though, yeah. like weird, because that, like, if I'm not even talking about people, like, in that, like, Alex Jones type milieu mm-hmm. who were, like, committed. I'm just, like, total normies who just like on Netflix or something one day sat down and were like what what the fuck is like just like totally like terrified about the world around them and I was and I have and it's something like I've done I've had this conversation at least twice like 
And it's something like, listen, yes, the world is a giant sinister conspiracy. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, but they just, they just don't, don't typically involve holograms and lasers. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, and like, yeah. So that shit's full of shit. And and man, that's a weird scene to have to. Oh, yeah, I mean, that's why we became weirdly experts in a lot of this stuff. Really digging into who like Alex Jones mm-hmm. was because we had a lot of folks. Great, like really honest mm-hmm. folks, but who just this is where they got one in. And this yeah. is how conspiracy theories work, right? Is there's always that kernel of truth, right, mm-hmm. for marginalized yeah. folks, right? Whether it's marginalized by class, race, whatever. That yeah, there is something fucked up, and it's the difference between conspiracy theories, which are not liberatory, right? Conspiracy theories where there's all-knowing forces and presences yeah. you can never fight back against, and to me it's always been about like you have to know one about the particulars of the conspiracy theory you're you're trying to convince somebody is incorrect but also it's unlocking the idea that like is believing in this helping you move forward in life yeah. or mm-hmm. is it keeping you stuck right in the ways that like what if we look at why something actually is happening right yeah. the ways that in the 911 case there's an opportunism that's happening here. Like, nobody's yeah. smart enough to have predicted this, made this happen. There were just people who Dumb enough in to have let it happen and, and stepped yeah, in and, and cashed in on it. And then yeah. spin it at the yeah. end, you yeah. know? And, and the ways that if you can acknowledge, like, that fairly simple difference between the two, you can help somebody realize revolutionary potential versus, like, defeat mm-hmm. and defeatism. Yeah, well, you, what you said about it, uh, <clears throat> the different, uh, like, a dichotomy of, like, liberatory conspiracy theory versus uh, non-liberatory. And that makes a lot of sense to me. Because I think, like, in a... And it's something that's so, by sort of, for now, like, generations, the sort of mainstream thought has really, um, really shamed and denied the conspiratorial thinking in America, but it's like, it's it's just normal people's bullshit meter, like, just mm. busting through the, the, the like, the, the top digits, like... Yeah. Like, people's, people look around and go, and <laughs> look at the, the last, like... They're, over the course of their life and the shit they've heard from authorities, politicians, the media, all the shit add up. And this is like, this shit doesn't fucking add up. Something's yeah. fucking wrong. It's bullshit. And it's like, yeah, man, it's just not lizard people. Yeah. It's way <laughs> fucking simpler. It's yeah. actually yeah. like a way more tenuous, like le- not as powerful con- mm. uh, thing that's happening that you could stand up and like do something about. Mm-hmm. And I like to say that class is could be defined as a group of people whose similar material interests allow them to behave like a conspiracy without mm-hmm. ever needing to actually conspire together. They don't sure. need to get in a room. Sure. It's just yeah. class. That's yeah. all. You know? Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, the danger of believing in, like, the Alex Jones version of a conspiracy story, right, is if you have this secret collective that is able to pull every string in the world right and make anything happen well what are you supposed to do about that right yeah and it allows you to it's retreat totally back into, yeah it allows you to retreat into cynicism and things like that whereas you know i mean there's actual like class conspiracies and things like actual conspiracies right uh that it's like hey um 
if you understand that these conspiracies are way dumber and way more callous than you, than you imagine, like you, you can't do something about it. And people feel conspiracies are happening because they're, they know they're not in the room of the powerful and they know they have no voice in that room. And so they feel acted on, you know, and that's the conspiratorial mm -hmm. mindset being acted on. It's like, well, you know, we can do something about that. If they're, if they're super smart lizard people with space lasers, we're probably fucked, but luckily they're not. <laughs> so yeah. luckily it's uh, George W. Bush. He's a fucking moron. And, yeah. you know, I mean, it did bring it back. Jeff Bezos, the world's <laughs> dumbest man. <laughs> well, I was going to say, you already segued when you said super smart lizard people with lasers. <laughs> back to Jeff Bezos. Favorite son of Seattle or something. Um, Mary, you, uh, you have some stories about working on... The Bezos Center for Innovation. I do. I, I... Our one of our favorite words around here, innovation. Yeah, yeah who doesn't <laughs> love the word innovation? It definitely doesn't scream exploitation right behind it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I worked on the Bezos Center for Innovation before. It was actually known by that name back when it was still uh, just an unnamed donor donating uh, $10 million to the uh, Mohai to create a center for innovation, which was going to be the original name, Bezos not involved. Um, so I was one of two researchers on that project um, that um, ultimately did most of the sort of on the ground research and then did a lot of the actual writing of the exhibits themselves. Mm -hmm. um, we were still lowly on the scale so there was a, a person who was hired who was in charge of sort of the curation of the entire project the vision of the entire project um, and then my professor at the time and a couple of other um, intellectuals and consultants who were sort of making the decisions about you know these are the pieces of you know artifacts and things we want but um, but yeah when it came to sort of like historical research that was that was my job on the project. Um, so yeah, so I can talk about lots of stuff around that. Yeah, um, we're all excited to learn about how innovation ha has been the prime driver of history and of, this of, of prosperity in this region. And um, uh, it's basically our religion here at Seattle Sucks, uh, innovation. So yeah, to, but I mean, what is... tell. Help us understand, like, so I was, I, I seen the exhibit, because I went to Mohai when they first opened up at the mm -hmm. new, at the, at the Armory, uh, South Lake Union. Um, but, I'm, but that, that was a while ago now. So, about, this is the period we're talking about, actually. So, like, what is there, what, like, what is it all about, you know? Like, what, are, what message are they trying to get across? Um, I mean, the... <laughs> <laughs> So the message that I see they're trying to get across is that Seattle, for magical, really unknown reasons, is a center for innovation. And Brian and I were talking before this, reading some articles and all of the, you know, sort of taking myself back to that point of them opening this. And, you know, all of the articles that came out at the time were that, you know, you know Jeff Bezos and this person really can't pinpoint why this is a center of innovation, right? And I even remember this in our... Uh, or meetings, right? We're like, is it is it the rain? Is it the cloud? Like, <laughs> Seriously, one, asking if it's this the like rain, yeah. sickening question that came up every 
goddamn time we talk about is it is it the rain is it that it's it, cold it seemed like and that so was it draws Jeff's. people inside yeah. to where they yeah. they talk to each other then and they they like mm-hmm. innovate and it's like well one i've never seen seattle like go inside and talk to yeah. anybody else. no we That's don't not do that, that <laughs> no. so not that that is it the no. rain thing that that was a billboard at the around that time or like yeah. a few years before that was about like um it was about ms it was about ms <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, D deficiency yeah. was what I think they were thinking it was but at that, the time. Yeah, because like, in, in addition to being leaders in innovation, we're leaders in MS. So. Yeah, and autism. See, but Jeff probably saw that and was like, Microsoft. <laughs> <laughs> Microsoft is the product yeah, that yeah. the rain created. Because Jeff in the Seattle Times says it's the rain. Like He's pretty yeah. determined. Yeah, he says, I think in yeah. two or three, two or he three says, it's the rain. No, it is the rain. And he said it for that reason that you yeah. just laid out, right? That we go inside and we ponder and we think. And it's like, no, that we don't do that. <laughs> we don't do that. That's the dumb, like... What kind of th- what? Are, what is that as a theory of history? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's a theory of progress. I think it's you yeah. Know, as a person who teaches fifteen-year-olds, and we unpack what the Enlightenment really is, and the ways that it's this very colonized mindset, <clears throat> it's an unquestioning idea of progress, and progress being a good thing. Right, the idea yeah. that innovation is just the new buzzword for capital mm-hmm. and capitalization of an idea. Yeah. Right. Rather than using an idea for the community good, how do you turn the next thing into something you can make money off of? And that exhibit would not lead you to come to that nasty of an understanding of it, but I think that exhibit is meant to encourage children and any other simple person who can actually find that exhibit entertaining, which I don't know who can, but <laughs> that what is good, what you should be doing is coming up with ideas but only ideas that make money yeah but that's the innovation that we're talking about with amazon is like Mm -hmm. i innovated a way i innovated the sears catalog for the 21st century i i innovated a way to sell shit and Mm -hmm. as we've discussed like at length on this podcast actually to uh gather a lot of capital together in one room for the purpose of uh putting whole sectors of industries out of business to monopolize them. That's yeah. really the innovation is just a really good um uh like investment manager, you know? Like well, well and the irony is in the original Gilded Age, right? The uh communication networks was the big innovation of, you know, now we have these rail lines and things like that. We you know, telegraphs we can communicate faster, move faster used the exact same way about parents of the Gilded Age to like, we can use these to pool capital into single areas and destroy everybody around us. So, good job, good on Jeff. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, part two. Well, cool. you, you were talking about, like, this, um, the link between capital and progress and this yeah. belief in, like, a one direction of history toward progress, which, you know, uh, is a very, it, I think you said, yeah, it's like, that's about colonialism largely in its roots. It's very, it's very like white progress. Um, mm-hmm. But like, what is, how is that reflected in, in the Bezos Center? In the Bezos Center. Um, I think in how um, uncomplicated a narrative they tell of both the history of Seattle's innovation quote unquote, but also the exhibit 
um, makes use of several different historical examples um, to show how I, I believe we've got ancient Athens, Rome, Timbuktu. Isn't is it Detroit, is it weirdly Detroit? Detroit. Detroit? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was the weirdest one it on makes the total list. Total sense, right? Athens, Rome. It's the square, Timbuktu and Detroit. It's a square pizza. Timbuktu. It's the ones we always talk about. At least, know? at least that's outside of the very like Enlightenment like dismissal of the African origins of like Western civilization. Mm-hmm. And like, that was something I had asked to be a part of the exhibit, actually. Well, <laughs> so that's, well, that's good. Not part of the original there. plan. Not part of the original plan. A little plan. too disruptive, uh, I think. <laughs> yeah, because they, they definitely didn't take my ideas. The market wasn't ready, I think. Too. <laughs> so, um... Well, I kind of Rome innovate. Well, and I mean... <laughs> that's a great question. And, and so, you know, we, we were tasked as researchers to take um, both Seattle... And these other four examples, and really sort of unpack the ways that they um, became quote unquote centers of innovation. Um, I think the thing that's important to note is that in all cases, Seattle included, it was just assumed that they all were centers of innovation. <laughs> well, that's a great assumption to make. <laughs> what innovation is but we, we were just assuming this and and going in th- to then look at this and we were sort of told to really uncover the story but it became very clear in that process that we we didn't actually we weren't supposed to be uncovering the story we were supposed to be tracing a linear effect cause and effect of like how did rome come to be you know what at least now has been thought of as like the seed of shining empire how did Timbuktu come to be famous as opposed to really looking at what were these centers? Were they centers of innovation? There, that was never a question asked. Were they centers Much of innovation? Much less about Seattle. <laughs> um, so and, really, you were writing history for the victors. We were. It, and, you cool. know, it was, made my stomach turn all the time. But I was also making $10,000 a year and this was, you know, groceries. Yeah. So. Yeah. I think the story that we told of Rome and the story this exhibit tells of Rome is, is really telling. So um, we've done a lot of research to really sort of unpack the Roman Empire and to unpack the city of Rome and really what it actually did stand for at the time, which it was not a seat of innovation. Um, it was a place where innovations came to be bought and sold, right? It was a market for innovations, if you'd even call them that back then. Um, And so the story we were telling was instead one then of an empire that had stolen knowledge from the periphery, um, had marginalized the periphery, was not including them in sort of the economic um, largesse that was coming from this, and the ways that that then also led to not only the height of Rome, but the declension of Rome, that... Amazingly, when you're not producing any knowledge from within, when you're not producing any sort of like culture from within, you're, when you're just stealing it from everybody outside of you and you're pissing them off, at a certain point, you fall apart. Um, 
I guess that's not a great story when you're trying to talk about how Seattle is a <laughs> city on the rise. Um, you know, telling the story... I, I think the story of Timbuktu is, is even more problematic because Timbuktu, of course, did not have the same um, in imperialist relationship with its periphery. Um, it was certainly an unequal relationship, but uh, African development was different um and the sort of power exchange was very different like thinking about just Mansa Musa and Mali and the way that sort of wealth operated while he was the wealthiest man the amount of money that he also gave back into the regions that he was in was just very different than western forms of imperialism and so Timbuktu and why it becomes much more what we might call a center of sort of like knowledge and invention and innovation is about a very different type of give and take um, that doesn't exist in Seattle. So Timbuktu becomes, in the story we were telling, another complicated story that doesn't match up with what's happening in Seattle in an uncomfortable way. That there are no um, billionaires just sucking money out of the economy yeah. for themselves. And the story that we tell of, of Seattle, ultimately, is the most problematic story that we tell, which is that why is Seattle a center of, of innovation? And it is. It's a center of capitalist innovation. It is a place where capitalists uh, are just ripping huge profits out of this place. It's about war. It's about empire. It's about the history and the legacy of this place, which is that Boeing is nothing without the United States committing full-fledged to imperialist war against everybody Oh, just just untold murders. <laughs> and that we know this because when, when the United States has to pull back from this, even slightly after their defeat in Vietnam, what does this place become other than the place with the billboard that says, can the last person leaving Seattle please turn the lights out? A sign that is pretty sure on display at Mohai, like mm -hmm. at least in pictorial form, and yet nobody's willing to go back to that and realize that, like, why was everybody leaving Seattle in the 1970s? It was because Boeing was no longer in that same place. Yeah. Because they didn't, the city didn't have the same glut of federal dollars coming into it. Well, the area is a very militarized area, right? Just oh, historically. Extremely. Yeah, how many bases? We've got Bremerton, mm -hmm. we've got, um, what is it? Fort Lewis. JBLM. The JBLM, yeah, yeah. The joint down there yeah. and historically like it's a major a we've made a shitload of the planes and ships you know mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. the empire um yeah well i think the initial like boom of seattle and progressive era is a world war one ship boom yeah like, shipbuilding boom that of course then falls apart in the 20s and the, yeah. and the population goes down again, which is right? why again for a long time seattle is a boom bust economy what mm. stops this from being a boom-bust economy? Well, we've solved that yeah. by having perpetual war, yeah, total war all <laughs> around <laughs> the world yeah, yeah. so that we Solve never, it. we yeah. can just keep growing and growing, yeah. selling, finding new markets <laughs> to sell our weapons yeah. to. Like, like and, you know. But yeah, why is, is all of that so important? Well, it means that, you know, 47% of Boeing's income comes from the United States government. Yeah. And it also means even as... Their employment fluctuates as they, you know, toy with how do they shrink their skilled labor force by mechanizing. Yeah. That there is still a large skilled labor force here looking for work, which opens the door mm -hmm. 
for other companies to come in and, and start exploiting that, right? Like, why is Microsoft yeah. here? Why why is Amazon here? Cool. It's certainly because we live in a spineless state that has no <laughs> ability to tax any mm-hmm. of them for their income. Mm-hmm. But also yeah. that there's a base of really skilled workers here to build mm-hmm. off of. And so it's a weird combination then of, yeah. you know, low taxes, high skilled workers to sort of pull off of. Yeah. Well, it's sort of interesting in the exhibit, right? They give no mention of the IAM. Like, None. Never shows up. Or SPIA, right? right? Like yeah. the idea that like there's a ton of engineers here that could move very easily from working in a Boeing factory to working at Microsoft. To Tell us more about the, what those are. So oh. IAM is the International um, Association of Machines. Aerospace, yeah. aerospace Machines. Yeah, yeah. Aerospace and then SPIA. I have no idea what SPIA's acronym it's is. The engineering SPIA union. is the mm. engineering uh, union. Yeah. And they're two separate unions, but both and workers at, at Boeing. Huge membership at, because yeah. of Boeing. Because and, of Boeing. And, and very I, radical, particularly with the IAM. IAM has been very militant historically right and because of that they've had very high wages like the the boeing iam chapter for the puget sound has historically had much better contracts than the international has Mm -hmm. like just anywhere else um and i think because of striking and i think we can't discount the fact that like why was the iam able to do that well because we have Longshore workers out here too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, the history of longshore most, workers strikers, and, and yeah, that's the most radical union are. in the country. <laughs> yeah, well, right. In I the mean, country. Like, yeah. Of course, there's a you know, I'm sure everyone listening. Hopefully, it's still still be going when this comes out, but it's going on right now. Uh, the UTLA strike, and mm-hmm. um, I was just listening to someone today talking about how the longshoremen are out there on those picket lines, just like mm-hmm. scaring the shit out of anyone mm-hmm. who tries to fuck with them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like like the like you know they're not they like, you do have like five of those guys you know mm-hmm. on your line, and the cops are like, yeah, never mind, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, or anyone else trying to get in, you know, to cross that line, you know. And certainly in the, in the early days of Seattle unionizing, I mean, it's the stories of cops going out and shooting striking workers, and quite frankly, the part that nobody ever wants to talk about, striking workers shooting cops, right? And that's how they would get the cops to stop shooting at them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, the that's cool the part, part of American history you're not allowed to talk about. But, but... <laughs> oh, we're allowed to talk about it, the cool part of American history here on this podcast. But, but, but yeah, I think the interesting thing about them never mentioning the stupid innovations to the IAM is... You know, Jeff's whole thing was like, oh, well, uh, Amazon was able to be so successful here because of Microsoft engineers. They mm-hmm. created this whole thing. But it's like, well, you know, well, where'd they come from? Right. And it, well, the, the thing is, we have all these college educated people because we had guys going into the IAM who might have been high school graduates, but were making good money. And their kids could go to yeah. school, right? Yeah. And engineering had a value because they worked, you know, these yeah. jobs, right? Where, like, you know, that looked like a future, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but none of that gets mentioned. That's all. Even though, even though <laughs> Boeing gets mentioned in that exhibit, and again, mm-hmm. it's the ways that they've like just sort of like washed out. That, like, <laughs> well, 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 Boeing, Boeing, in the, Boeing they... here is important, but we're not going to talk about why Boeing is important. The important yeah. thing is Boeing and like the heads of Boeing, not the actual like. Mm-hmm. Well, Boeing shows yeah, how the goodness yeah. of its heart to like give good jobs, right? You, <laughs> right. Go find a Boeing plant in China and tell me how great that's or, going. Or right? they or they innovated you know, new yeah. ways to like decimate whole continents from the air mm-hmm. you know like they're major innovators in how you kill the most yeah. amount of people yeah. like well and the interesting thing you know in that too is just like amazon boeing i think for 20 or 30 its first 20 or 30 years never turned a profit yeah but the state 
saw and the, the United States saw the value in what was happening here, right? Mm-hmm. So they just continued to float Boeing's debt and continued to let them keep rolling through government contracts, things like that. And, you know, also, by the way, it does not get an exhibit, get a mention <laughs> in the innovation exhibit. This whole state of like floating dead companies because, you know, they have, you know, I mean, we can float a company to kill millions of people. We can also float one to like not do that. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. that's a choice. Yeah. That's a political choice. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know? right. yeah. Um, I mean, Boeing's role in it, the when one of our the big booms here, when they, a lot of workers came here from around the country was for the Second yeah. World War to build those B-17s that mm-hmm. really, like, uh, invented a new form of warfare where killing civilian populations is actually, like, the oldest form of warfare. It's, like, that's where real war is. Mm-hmm. But, like, we kind of got back to that in this new way a lot thanks and made it very possible to do thanks to that plane that cranked out at least half of them, like, here in the Seattle area that leveled every city in japan and a, a lot of and a, a whole lot of germany as well mm-hmm. yeah well and the, and the innovation there right was finding ways to kill larger amounts of people with less people on your side yeah which you know was important after the russian revolution and the you know army turning against the czar right you know yeah. like a lot of military thinkers were thinking about well, that of like how can we kill more people with less people and more and, and, and more and specialized more... professional soldiers yeah, yeah, yeah. than like your pilots, you're, yeah. you know, they're not going to turn on you, you know? <laughs> to be more local about it, after World War II, more important here, considering what mm. happened here during World War II, which is, you know, as much as everybody likes to talk about World War II as the Great War, the one everybody was involved in, World War II saw the most working strikes ever, and some of the most difficult ones were here in Seattle, and they were Boeing workers going on strike and so boeing's efforts to develop what ultimately we have now which are the cnc machines right the computer operated machines um that comes directly out of their boeing's experience boeing's top level sort of um executives experience with world war ii which was the ways that politicized machinists and engineers could shut down the war machine Mm -hmm. by not working for it anymore and so you move from workers who are operating manual bridgeport machining into let's computerize things let's mechanize and so that innovation of mechanization comes out of a realization by the bosses that we can't rely on workers yeah Mm -hmm. to build war machines all the time this is something we talk about a lot is that like this cult of I mean, it's part of, like, the whole, like, Enlightenment, like, Whig cult of progress that is general pervasive in our culture, but specifically this innovation cult. Like, you really have to, you you have to ask every time, like, what is, what's actually happening here? And a lot of it, it is just automation, like, of labor to deep to devalue the power of labor. Yeah, right. Yeah, to take the it, skill out of the worker's head and put it into the machine, right? And, you like, know? this is yeah. Jeff Bezos' like pet project at every single <laughs> level, right? Yeah. We can talk about, like, his mechanical Turk, right? Finding ways to turn, you know, the masses of the unemployed into his pennies-for-a-job employees mm-hmm. to, you know, his investment in... What is it, the... Well, into, like, robotics what and is stuff the, to What try is the name and... of his robotics company? It starts with the K, I can't remember. No, I'm sure but yeah, like into into robotics to 
replace workers, right, in, in his warehouses. And ultimately, if we think about both, both him and we think about um, Microsoft and we think about what they're trying to do and have already achieved, we think about workers on the east side and what they're doing, they're already automated, right? They write lines of code like they're on a factory floor, right? Mm-hmm. One line at a time. And so yeah. what does innovation actually look like in this city, in, in this region? What it looks like is the constant lowering of wages, even in a place where what mostly we talk about is um, high-wage tech workers, which certainly are a reality, and certainly if you're a person of color or if you're queer, they're not mm-hmm. the most fun to deal with in this city. But really, it's, it's not just them. We're also looking at a place where innovation means those jobs are quickly being turned into low-wage assembly. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that's work. not going to last. That's good. I mean, all the time, the oh, they're constantly pushing for... There's this massive push in our entire, like, culture to um, prioritize STEM education, which you can see is just a, a way of externalizing the costs of training, like, what mm. the workers that you do need... While at the same time, you know, out toward the state, uh, while at the same time, like, creating a larger pool of those workers so you can devalue their labor and, and pay them less. Yeah. Well, and bring in people, too, whose, like, work is traditionally devalued, too, so it, like, it comes together easily, right? You know, like, the big thing about, like, women in STEM is that it's easy to underpay them, you know, because we have a cultural tradition yeah. you know and and, uh, and i have to add that it's you know it, it's uh, it's all of those things and um as somebody who doesn't work in stem who has taught traditionally for the last 15 years in the humanities it's also a way to further undermine you know pro- progressive politically anti-racist um anti-capitalist work in the humanities it's it's a way to prioritize STEM and deprioritize learning about like when and where and why you should use these things, right? It always just yeah. makes me think of the Manhattan Project of like, cool, you know how to build an atomic, atomic bond and nobody ever taught you how to think about whether you should do this or not. Yeah. And, and that's what we're doing. God damn, right? it really is like a triple threat, like the STEM thing. Mm-hmm. De- de- uh, get the state to pay for the training more people in the next in a generation of people who can who have the basis for this stuff so that they ever they can pay people less and devaluing the humanities in education mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. make us just all stupider and less politically aware <laughs> yeah yeah and i mean cool and to give you an idea of like the kind of direction this innovation has gone on the west coast is you know California libertarians going back to the 60s had this dream of building an island off the coast of California that they were all going to live on. Yes, they're going to seastead, right? And they could never figure out whether they were going to have slaves or just ship in labor from Mexico, (laughs) right? So it always Mm. fell apart. And the closest it's come to a real thing is that Peter Thiel wants to bring a barge off the coast of San Francisco so he can bring in, since it'll be in international waters, they'll bring in low-wage labor from South Asia to code. And that way you don't have to deal with pesky things like minimum wage laws or things like that you bring them in and you just make them a like workforce for hire right you know and they just yeah. pound out code yeah. for whoever needs it and i mean this <laughs> this is the vision right a world of coders is not a world of people with high wage jobs a world of coders is people on a barge like the movie Waterworld, 
you know, pounding out code while, you know, Peter Thiel sits in a weird, you know, Howard Hughes. There's the innovation in Silicon Valley that is, you know, even worse than the movie Sorry to Bother You, which is you can rent a bunk slash desk in yeah. a warehouse with a barcode. Yeah. And you can work and sleep and not have sex all in the same place. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Great. Yeah, that, um, well, who needs a bed or a place to live when you have such a cool job? Yeah, 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 right. When it's yeah. so much fun. Well, when we're Whoa. when we're doing what we love. Exactly. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. So, right across the canal here is that is the Seattle Google, Google campus. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and Tableau is so aren't they over yeah. there too? Yeah, oh, yeah. Um, they're they're just on the other side of the bridge. Yeah. So they're right along the Fremont Bridge, and I walk. So I cross the bridge all the time on foot. I walk along, I can see in, like, the second or third story windows of the Google offices, and I'm like, God, I just want to throw rocks, because, like, there's this, there's this giant room that has, like, I like, I don't know, like, foosball and ping pong tables, and, like, a whatever Xbox or whatever the fuck it is on a couch, and it's just, like, so, like, boilerplate predictable, but it has this big... In huge letters, one wall has, like, these three-dimensional block letters that say, Play hard. The the implication being, work hard, you know? Like, that is just so perfect. Like, like, they don't have to say it. Like, you know what that means. I must say, every friend that I've had who's worked in tech and worked in places like that, they all know better than to use any of those facilities too right they all know that to walk into that room to Mm -hmm. walk into the fancy nap room all of which are things that have definitely sold them on the job yeah once they've got the job they know those are not places that people who want to stay at google stay at microsoft ever use and so it's this interesting way that they become both the center of enticement and discipline yeah Mm-hmm. It's a great innovation. Yeah, definitely. It, yeah. No, it is. Right? Like, it is. Yeah, like, it's forbidden it's, fruit, basically. It is. Yeah. Like, yeah. nobody gets in a nap pod yeah. unless you're trying to just stay where well, you are. It's a perfect, like, modern Protestantism, right? Of, like, you know, <laughs> the, the fruit is right there, but you can you, never you can't touch, touch it. it. Yeah, yeah, it's the tentacles. There's, there's another <laughs> yeah. side to it, too, which is that those <laughs> things are actually very stupid. And so when you're confronted <laughs> yeah. with the reality of, like, you're at your job and you're like, nap pod that seems so cool and weird and futuristic and utopian and now mm-hmm. i'm like i'm not doing that um but i don't know well and like you're at your work and you hate your job like the last thing you want to do is go hang out in the break room right you know be like let's go play ping pong when we don't have to be here it's like oh let's get the hell out of here but i mean they, they do that also like a lot of tech companies do the uh everybody has unlimited vacation mm-hmm. but it's known amongst all the employees if you take vacation you will be fine like yeah. when it comes time to cut people you're going yeah. right so yeah. it's this like horrible situation of like they get to get the you know medium piece written about how great they are as a company because of this but then nobody ever is allowed to use it yeah, you yeah. Know? so yeah i mean like so so coming back around to our, yeah. our horrible innovation center i mean yeah. part of it too what's interesting about it is that you know there, there's really very few things that i can recall that are in that exhibit that you would call like seattle innovations right these mm-hmm. are these are things that are built off of sort of work that's been done in all sorts of places and so yeah, it's just, 
I don't know. There's the part of me as somebody who's not from this city that just feels like this. Okay, this is a desperate attempt on the part of Seattle to <laughs> feel relevant. That is, a, yeah. Like, well, that's very no, absolutely. Yeah. And to yeah. sell itself yeah. on this mm-hmm. idea. I mean, this is a problem. This is a larger problem in tech in general. We talk about this on the podcast that all these supposed innovations are really just like the gradual expansion of a technology from the 1920s called computers <laughs> that that people have found ways myriad ways to monetize over time as they've gotten more powerful by using yeah. the computer to make the next computer after they were developed at like great federal expense oh, like, enormous dollars, enormous right? you know? and like the, the, in the, all of these things that's what's yeah. missing yeah. right so like there yeah. there are a bunch of like medical um sort of tools in the exhibit all of which again like where does that come from a lot of it is state money whether it's from the university but you know i think the the biggest thing to me that was that is really problematic when thinking about this and thinking about like that switch from the thing that's supposed to be the center for innovation to oh this is now bezos center for innovation it's just like it brings out this problem of private money in what is supposed to be seemingly a public institution, or at least a semi-public institution, yeah, right? Like, the... Which is that he gets to decide what it is, right? He gets yeah. to take n- the knowledge that we created, that you can say what you will about us, but like we dug up the stories, and he gets to decide and pick and choose what of that story gets told, ultimately. Um, and, and more than that, I think something that's really hard to deal with in seeing that museum is that, as, as I was talking about earlier, the new Mohai space is smaller than the old space. But, you know, moving to a new space seemingly offers the idea that, like, oh, we can revitalize, we can revamp these exhibits that we have, we can change over. And that didn't really happen. And, and so what it means is that I remember Mohai cool still has... Some really mm-hmm. problematic. Which is all hidden up in the top now. Mo, Mo has some really problematic exhibits around, say, like indigenous mm-hmm. culture and what was here yeah. before yeah, European definitely. settlement. There's not much spent on that. What's spent on, you know, the Denny party and their encounters with indigenous peoples is not great. I'm pretty sure they still have those terrible dioramas in there that have been there for years. Those are from the old place too. That you know mm-hmm. they're accounting yeah, yeah. of. Um, Chinese and Chinese American mm-hmm. workers on the docks is still not great. And so what it means, too, is that $10 million was spent to make a really sad-ass exhibit that is not enjoyable to go through and is not accurate about what innovation looks like in the city. But it also means $10 million that was denied to, you know, revamping and revitalizing and, and telling revisionist histories about things that have happened here that are important and so in no way does this center for innovation you know do things that i think are actually important like raising marginalized voices mm-hmm. yeah. and bringing them more to the center of what the yeah. the history of the city is and yeah and that feels really fucked up for a city that is you know on indigenous land yeah well i yeah. so i grew up in this area of course i'm i'm from here and so i got you know the local education about the region and i went on field trips to Mohai specifically in its, in its old uh, uh, location on the canal. Um, and I think the basic gist, if I was to like think back and sum up like the, the relate, the settler relation 
and mm-hmm. Seattle like colonization relation to the indigenous people, it would be this. It'd be like it's just like how do I phrase some really fucked up shit? Um, it would be like that. I, the impression that I got was basically like, well, the Indians here weren't as savage and violent as the ones you see in the movies. Also, they lived in real houses. And so when white people came here, they were just all friends. I mean, that's basically yeah. like... Uh, which is really uh, messed cool. up, right? It's some fucked up shit. Oh, and they, they, ate, they smoked salmon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and the ways that, like, that Center for Innovation is, is a permanent exhibit in yeah. a fairly small museum, too. Yeah, and the exhibit that is like sucks like aesthetically too. Yeah, like, I think that should be clear. Yeah. Like, well, like it's, early. It's yeah, like, it's bad to look at and go yeah. through. Even Boring politics and aside, it's not good. Like po- Post it part of yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's not good. Um, but yeah, the, that's a permanent exhibit that is taking up a lot of space in a not very big museum, um, in a city that again sort of like constantly denies access and space um, for people of color to meaningful sort of like yeah meaningful room to share and talk about and think about their stories you know i'm thinking about the ways that like daystar center is mm-hmm. so marginalized out um in discovery park yeah. and the ways that like the black population in this city that you know was always small is diminishing and so for a museum to to take that money and to laud this both at the time and even to this day right as a great thing for the city yeah mm-hmm. well it contributes what we what the city demands which is a, a a reinforcement of our you know our innovation myth which is a powerful force in local politics um we've spent a lot of time talking about mayor jenny's um innovation council mm-hmm. which is <laughs> Still hasn't innovated. It's like by a the way. it's like a joke mm-hmm. just to say it, but this idea like all you need to do to to identify and then solve problems mm-hmm. is to call together the brilliant people from our innovative industry, our commercial mm-hmm. geniuses. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's where the solutions will come from. Yeah. Um, well, and certainly with like public problems too, with the innovation council is like innovation is just a scope for just completely ignoring the problem too right like yeah, i mean yeah. we need to bring the innovators in to talk about well, homelessness like a, as if the problem isn't in the name right yeah, you know yeah, like yeah. Exactly. no no right like to identify because that's in the original brief it's like to identify problems yeah uh, problems are staring you in the face yeah um but right it's like an old it's a new spin and innovative spin mm-hmm. on the old technique of like you know a blue ribbon commission to delay as a delaying tactic yeah this brings us to like what we want to talk about next which is something very uh topical and immediate right now which is the city the the big the seattle squeeze the period of maximum constraint <laughs> that uh, we're going through like for the next month or the next five years no, i've so read and it's like and yeah uh the innovation council you know i mean they didn't uh we, were, we we didn't innovate our way out. It's like, it's this thing that we've been able to see coming mm-hmm. for, a, you know, since... When was the earthquake that, yeah, that yeah, broke the, the, 90s, the goddamn but... thing? <laughs> yeah. um, well, in a series of projects, too, that, you know, just knowing a little bit about construction, had to have been in the works years in advance, right? Oh, so, yeah, So, I mean, yeah, we're talking yeah. about a series of things that, like, we're here on the moment, the, the day of... 
And yeah. all of a sudden, it's like, I think we're going to have a problem, guys. <laughs> I think when we shut down half the city and street, the streets of the city, this could be fucked up. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh. No, that's a great point. It, but we, we weren't able to innovate any solutions, even though they're staring us in the fucking face, which is like what people in, the, in this city have been fighting for mm-hmm. for my entire life, and that is mass transit. Yeah. Just like fighting like passionately and bitterly, voting for it multiple times, like... You know, we're fine. It took so like, the light rail is a victory. Is a huge victory. How the the speed at which it is being built feels like a victory in this town. Okay, because like, I mean, I I don't. That sounds insane to say, but like, nothing was happening for most of my lifetime when people were continually voting to, for example, uh, extend the monorail through. Like out to different neighborhoods, so that you had like a above grade level train, like moving people around. Not a, and you know, but like, where are we now? You know. Yeah. Well, Seattle always pretends like it, like it's the first city that ever existed. You know, like <laughs> first, first, day, day one, one mindset. Yeah. Day Jesus one mindset. Bezos innovation. Yeah. As if there's yeah. never been a city that has a dense population and traffic problems that resolved it. Yeah, that was know. also on an ocean or a body of water. Yeah, they, no, well, yeah, that's what they always tell you, right? It's, well, there's there's water nearby because yeah. uh-huh. this is the first thing that's ever been yeah. built near water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, interestingly, I yeah. mean, it, it was wild. I, I was in China this summer for about a month, and it was just wild to be um, in a country that is building transit in a way that just makes no sense here. In the sense that, like. I was in Chongqing, yeah, which is just in the doing Sichuan it. province. Yeah, yeah <laughs> that's which invested is in infrastructure. A city that went yeah. from about two to five million about ten years ago is now a city of thirty million people. The great sauce boom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and in five years, has gone from having no no subway to having an entire connected subway line. Wow! Yeah. And yeah. it's amazing, and it's beautiful, and it runs on time every two minutes. And it, every two minutes. And it's shut the. Up. It's both a mountainous region and it's, you know, Chongqing is in Sichuan, so it has the Yangtze and a tribute, to, tribute mm. river of the Yangtze coming together. Like, so two major rivers coming together through the middle of the city. There's an island in the middle of all of that. Like, mm. we're talking about, like, subways going through the middle of apartment buildings. Yeah. And it's Fuck, amazing. And they rules. did it in five yeah. years because for them, transit was a priority. Mm-hmm. Moving people around the city was a priority. Their society functioning is a priority. Yeah. People talk yeah. a lot about the ways that China has marketized over our lifetimes, you know. Mm. And they want to say they're not communist anymore or whatever. And, like, that's a whole thing to get into. But, like, well, they, they still, still do development, do on, the development on social spending is important. Yeah, on a, on a national level. They, they can do that because on their national level, they know they control a fucking sovereign currency and can mm-hmm. spend fucking money to develop their society that's going to pay off later and make their lives of the citizens better. Like, we knew that here at one point mm-hmm. in America when we were desperately trying to forestall uh, a, Bolshe- a Bolshevik-style revolution in this country during the Cold War, where we put money into infrastructure um, to modernize uh, cities, to electrify the countryside, etc. But we're doing these projects like Sound Transit is the, you know, a great example. It's like it's happening at this incredible snail's pace, not because of any any mm-hmm. kind of fucking engineering challenges. It's this 
pay-as-you-go thing that, like, that's just, like, a little at a time. These levies, you know, will stretch it out over a decade, and then for this part, and then the next decade for the next part, and it's, like, that's just because you're unwilling to... Um, we're not getting grants from the federal level to just do it, and you're unwilling to deficit spend on the state level. Yeah. And also that, you know, so like the snide thing I would get from people back home when I tell them about the subway systems and the new ones built was like, well, you know, yeah, and they destroyed people's houses. And I'm like, really? You think that they built I-5 through LA oh without destroying Mexican-American That's not the problem. That's not why those things aren't getting built here because there's such respect for like individual people's houses. The difference oh, no. being that like in China... It's like, yeah, we're going to have to build through your home, so we're going to move you over here versus here. Nobody, none of these developers give a shit about whose oh, house they're moving no. through. But they do care about what other developers think. So why do we have a tunnel instead of just a new viaduct bridge? Yeah. Because real estate speculators were mm -hmm. like, there's too much to speculate here. Let's spend $3 billion building a garbage tunnel nobody can use to go anywhere. And All so, like, to make that real estate. This is yeah, like yeah, yeah. no, it's Low like class. Lex Luthor shit. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. this is like Superman two shit. That's mm -hmm. is it two. I don't know, man. Wow, I'm I'm gonna get some angry emails about this. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's it was the superior Brian Singer one. <laughs> don't at <have> me. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that is that is that is a that is a dark take. Greg, um, what a weird take for you to take on <laughs> Superman Brian Singer being the best one. No, no, it's Lex Luthor. Like that's the there's even an earthquake involved. It's mm -hmm. all about like reshaping the waterfront in this way that just makes the the that property there like incredibly valuable and you could have done that in a way that would be good for a lot of people uh well the cover but, is the park mm -hmm. that's that's what the mayor's office is leading with everyone's saying there's going to be all this public space but that really will pale in comparison to speculative luxury real estate well in the money that will be made on the real estate but also the money that was invested yeah. at the time like with the anticipation right, right to, so yeah. they could shove this tunnel through mm -hmm. right and this thing that costs so much more than just building the bridge again right yeah which, that money oh, could have yeah. been plowed into transit well, totally. they didn't have to build the bridge again um what, what they're gonna have in the end is like a, a many lane boulevard Mm -hmm. Alaskan Way, which is all that San Francisco replaced the Embarcadero Freeway with when it fell down in the 70s, as, uh, as mm. ours did. They rebuilt it here. They didn't there. Yeah. Um, and they just put in, instead of a big, ugly freeway, they just put in a multi-lane mm. boulevard that, you know, uh, it's not exactly the same because... It's not, that section of it isn't, like, the main, like, get north-south through the city, because you're going to stay on the uh, 101, basically, if you're trying to do that, but in San Francisco, but, and I can't even get angry at investing the $3 billion in an infrastructure project, like, mm -hmm. it's been pointed out by people here, like Charles Modini and The Stranger, that, like, at a time when the global economy was taking a shit, that put a lot of people to work in the city like some sure. kind, like some kind of like infrastructure jobs program that didn't <laughs> exist nationally um and there's nothing wrong with having a stupid tunnel under the ground in a society that had like transit to work <laughs> but that is what moved politics here yeah, yeah. that's what 
that was able to get done. This really questionable, ver- and extremely questioned project, mm-hmm. very contentious thing, very politically like unstable thing that a lot of mm-hmm. people were against. That was able to get railroaded through, mm-hmm. but because it benefited the right interests, yeah. and any you know, but anything that might actually like benefit society as a whole, you know, is like pie in the sky crazy shit. Sure, yeah, because I mean, state spending always works, right? I think it was in like two thousand eight, in the middle of the crisis, like Paul Krugman read this article about like, well, we got out of the Great Depression because of. World War Two, because we're building like all this stuff. Like we could just build all that stuff again, just shove it in the ocean. <laughs> just build helicopters <laughs> and shove them in the ocean. Or and it was like this, like complete, like lack of imagination of like, well, yeah. state spending actually does help in a crisis, but you don't have to just build shit, right? Mm-hmm. Like we could have, you know, that three billion dollars would have been just as much an economic boon if we had built just a giant hole. And we're like, we're gonna build a super road to China and just yeah. build a hole and see if we get there. <laughs> but. We also could have built out public... Like, the yeah. city... It couldn't be more obvious the city requires a real system of mass transit and a futuristic one like they had in 1910. Where yeah, streetcars exactly. took you everywhere yeah. and you yeah. didn't need a fucking car. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Some reason yeah. that was incredibly possible in 1910, yeah. but is absolutely impossible today. <laughs> you know? It cannot be done. Yeah. Just, and, you know... And so it means that the fact that they've spent $3 billion on a tunnel that takes you none of the places you want to go in a car. <laughs> yeah. Then at the, sa- at the same time, right, they're dedicating money to shutting down a tunnel that had 600 buses going through it a day. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they're also spending tens of millions of dollars on bike lanes. Yeah. I mean, if, like, the future transit isn't going to be people on bikes. Let's be serious. It's crazy. It's at least not if you actually care about working class people and where working class people live in, in this region right. and where they work in this yeah. region. And, well, it's like... And it's really frustrating as a working class person to see this happening, right? It's really... It's frustrating to watch bike lanes come in. It was frustrating when I lived still on the north side to watch them coming. And the ways that, you know, talking to people who, who either were not working class or at least did not see themselves as working class were so excited that, like, they're spending money on bike lanes and that you're you're kind of an asshole if you say something against yeah. these bike lanes. And yet to me, like, having grown up poor and now living in this city, like, a bike lane is a sign of gentrification. It's a sign that, like, wealthy people are moving in. Because who has time... Well, you're about to be moving out. (laughs) Yeah, like, who has time to, you know, bike ride seven miles to work? Right, it's... You you have to have money, and or you have to work from home, and so bike riding is really just a hobby for you. That, like, as somebody who, for most of my time in this city, has had, you know, a 10 to 15 to 20 mile commute. Yeah. The idea that, like, just Which get on a bike, yeah. friend, like, yeah. is ridiculous. Well, and it, and... Ra- it rains all the time. Yeah. There are hills all yeah. over this city. I kind of hate to say it, but it is sort of ableist to be like, just it's get on a bike. Ableist. Just get on a bike. Yeah. Not everyone can get on a bike for a variety of Listen, reasons. Listen, in a straight up hill. Yeah, in a much better city, in a completely different economic paradigm that wasn't yeah. fucking insane and people mm-hmm. could live near they work, work yeah. which is the most insane innovation of our society. <laughs> this idea yeah. that you should live fucking 20 miles away yeah. from where you work is fucking batshit. And there are a lot of, and there's a huge number of, uh, 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 nexus of reasons for this, you know, I mean, uh, but in a better society where that wasn't true, mm-hmm. bike lanes would be very cool if you, if 
most people were able to live within a mile or two of their place, and you rebuilt... Then the streets were mm -hmm. reflected that, the way they were designed, and you had a shitload of mass transit to get people around. Like, bike lanes would be a cool, normal thing you'd want to have. Yeah. But making that the, yeah, the, like, focal point mm. of our, like, transit development in the city, this very relatively cheap, easy thing to do that makes you sound very... I don't know what. Other, instead of just building fucking trains. Yeah, and for in the and it's it's easy to do because for the most part, rich people like it, right? Yeah. And that's the thing, right? Because yeah. they know yeah. if it goes up in their neighborhood, the poor's can't park on the side of the street anymore, <laughs> and they won't be living there, right? Yeah. And they'll raise their home value, and mm -hmm. so they like it, and it's good, and they don't like mass transit for all the same reasons they didn't like it in 1910. By the way, when Queen Anne organized to keep the train from going up into Queen Anne, right? Like. They don't want the poor's coming, right? Yeah. That's why they hate mass transit. Right. And once the rich retook downtown Seattle, like, that's when all this shit started happening. Of like, well, let's uh, start getting free parking spaces in the name of, you know, uh, the environment. These people didn't care one bit about it until they moved yeah. down there, right? Yeah. Let's start having just walk-only roads where you close roads off. And the thing is, like, it's, you know, they're building the walls, like, around the city <laughs> yeah. after they shoved all of yeah. us out, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, when you look at the problems of Seattle Transit, the idea that people are just going to, that we're going to resolve this problem with fucking bikes, or the dumber one of e-scooters, e like yeah. we're all just going to rent scooters and zip around, I mean, one, I would love to see the scooters go up any of those hills, but exactly. I mean, yeah. this is like a fundamentally stupid concept, totally. like, and I, it's stupid on its face, I don't even know why people seriously well, talk about it. lipstick on a pig, Yeah, man. yeah, we... We need the same thing every fucking city yeah. on the planet has. Yeah. We, this is not the first city that was ever built. Like, we had it in this city. That's the crazy part. It's like, you need streetcars. Yeah. They have to actually there, it's fucking all still connect. There too. Yeah. Everywhere you go around, you, the tracks are all still yeah. there. The, and then the, the, you know that underneath them is the big fucking cable wheels. Like, and literally the cable is still on the ground. Like, it's a fucking joke, man. When you were saying, like, you know, they do it in this, like, stupid pay as you go away. And, you know, not to be, like, conspiratorial, given what we talked about earlier, but I swear to God they do that shit on purpose. Because, oh, like, definitely. if I make this system as shitty as possible for the first ten years where it doesn't go anywhere, or mm -hmm. you have to get off and then walk no, that's a mile to get sure. to a bus, yeah. like, people are going to hate it and they're not going to want There's it. And it'll never get finished. At every know? level. And this is something, <laughs> another thing, um, I always come back to this, but Charles Mudidi in The Stranger. <laughs> oh, God, I love that man. Um... Like, keeps, like, beating his head against his monitor, typing out these screeds against um, the insane logic of sound transits. Uh, like, the, like, they can't understand or they won't admit that transportation uh, induces its own demand. Okay, mm -hmm. so we know this. This is something we won't admit about freeways, okay? That it is what causes people to live fucking mm -hmm. 20 miles away that then causes the traffic, condenses people onto one highway. Same thing with the fucking trains. Like, they, they'll they say, they'll, they'll have limited number of runs and limited number of hours because they'll go, well, you know, only this many people use it when it comes once an hour, so maybe we should have actually cut back. Yeah. Not like... <laughs> we, we, really we can only really go to, like, 10 o'clock at night <laughs> or something to this place because, like, not that many people are using it. Mm -hmm. But, like, that's fundamentally stupid because transportation... People want to get around. This, again, mm -hmm. it's not a new fucking idea. So if you had 
these options available. If the trains came every two fucking minutes yeah. and went 24 hours a day, Use and I g- guarantee they do in China, yeah. they must go 24 hours a day. Yeah. I think like, in a lot of places they do. It, I think in every major city on the like, planet that isn't yeah. in the United States, yeah. they come 24 hours a day. I mean, yeah. if they were like that, that would induce way more people to use yeah. them, you know? Yeah. And it's like, well, oh, I was fuck. in I was in Berlin at one point, and I'm in the middle of Berlin, and I have a choice. I can take the subway. I can take the streetcar. I can take the light rail. I can catch a bus. You know, it's like, you know what I didn't do in Berlin? Take a fucking car anywhere. <laughs> and nobody did, yeah. because why would you? Because yeah. all that was available. It was all super efficient. And guess what it also was? It was fucking free. It yeah. was a suggestion whether you wanted to pay, and you didn't have to. And you know what? Everybody was on it. Everybody. And I don't yeah. think the people of Berlin have some bug in their brain that's different than us. <laughs> well, they know? think yeah. they do, but... It's... <laughs> it's not to do with that, though. Yeah, it's yeah. mainly about house music. But... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a no, it's not house music. <laughs> oh, shit. Whoa, call out. All right, guys, I'll see you later. <laughs> That exact complaint, right? That like, oh, but people don't pay to use it. It's like, yeah, but they all use it. And so it means when it comes time to pay taxes for it, none of them have a problem paying taxes for it. Yeah, exactly. They just publicly fund it. So you don't have to gouge people for something. They all just pay for it because you've made it an indispensable resource for But it. I don't want to be stuck yeah. in a train car with a smelly bum, I guess is really is the, Yeah, it's like, 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 well, the homeless ride on it. It's like, yes, homelessness is a problem. We could probably resolve that as well. <laughs> right, right? Exactly. Like, Through again, all the same mechanisms. Happy to address that like with a, a structural critique, you yeah. know? And also, a problem that's been solved in lots of places, too. You know I, mean? like, again, I, I think it's just, like, you know. nobody who actually needs transit is saying these though. Things, sure. Right. Like, like nobody who needs transit is the one keeping transit from happening in this city. Sure. Right. Although I do think there are people who drive who they have a valid complaint that the transit in the city sucks, and like, well, why have more of it? No, I'm saying none so of them are it. saying like yeah. I wouldn't get on a train with a smelly homeless. Oh, person. sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They wouldn't use transit now because the transit is crap in this city. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. they and can't honestly, wait three hours to get. If you're all being moved. Together efficiently, the guy that smells like patchouli next to you will get to his location efficiently, right. too. So, yeah. you know, problem yeah. solved. Yeah. But... <laughs> well, and maybe he will ride that line the whole day, but who fucking cares? You're gonna get out eventually. Like, yep. so what? 40 minutes? That's... That's just saying. That's generous. It, like, 15 minutes of your day is like, inconvenienced like, by seeing someone well, else. Our homeless society. problem was not created by transit. Right, like, right, that's no. the issue, right? right. And, like, the, the homeless yeah. thing, you know, and it's a very solvable problem. And it's also a solvable problem that would help most people, which is yeah. we should just build housing and right. maybe call housing a right and just maybe put people in it for free or yeah. for nothing. Yeah, yeah weird idea. Totally. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Uh, well, so, okay, so right now. See, we're just fucked, basically, right? I mean, so Shama Swamp put, you know, was saying uh, to anyone who would listen, we should make transit free at least just during this time. Just get more yeah. people on buses and trains. Couldn't even that the the quotes back from like from the various bureaucratic like institutions was like, well, we don't. We don't have a policy that allows us to do that, so yeah. it's like, is that really the, po- the point? Is like that should be the policy, you know? Like, yeah. Well, I think Mary Jenny had like some response too. That was like, well, if it's free, it wouldn't cost money. <laughs> so, yeah, basically. Don't see how that logic works. <laughs> it's like, it's like uh, twenty-seven percent of their budget is, is 
covered by those fares. So yeah, she was like out. a like a robot, and like her eyes were steady, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and like smoke was coming out. She's like, "Oh, <laughs> does not compute." <laughs> she like fell over. But well, and even there was a guy from Seattle Transit that they'd asked who was like, basically his thing was if it was free, it would be really popular. So yeah, right. We can't do yeah. that. Oh you know? yeah, that would which be feeds really my conspiratorial ridiculous. brain yeah, on yeah. this situation no, that no, they no, are that actively is, fucking this yeah. up. It is the same yeah. thing. It's like it is this brain disease of like <laughs> not seeing like oh yeah that that would make then we wouldn't have this problem. Like we could have. We could be zipping around in futuristic train cars, like stepping on and off without for free and not worrying about it. Mm-hmm. And everyone would love that. Mm-hmm. Like, what's the downside exactly? Like, oh, fuck, man. I mean, honestly, and again, reporting from Berlin, you could be hammered on a train. You can drink on the train. I feel like this is a big selling points. Yeah, no kidding. Like, people complain about drunk driving and all this right. kind of shit. And it's like, the answer is not the... The drunks, that's just the driving part, you know? Why do people yeah. drive? Because they have to. Yeah. It's like, yeah. why do they drink? Because you have to. <laughs> so. <laughs> otherwise, that car is just sitting somewhere. That's the worst part of having to drive somewhere. You've got this fucking car you got to lug around with you. We know this sucks. I mean, there's not much more to say about it than we have. It's, it's like, the, that's the that's the joke, right? It's like, yeah. it's already, he, it's, it's, it's happened. All right. This is all very dark. Um, on a lighter note, let's finish up today... Uh, with a cop files update from yeah. Ryan, uh, catching up on the story. Well, we had like two fun police stories. Yeah, one's kind of quick, but uh, in August there was this police officer. We'll go through the story a bit here, but that's not even a, a regular beat officer, but a sergeant who was in the central district and was overseeing the impounding of a young man's car because his tabs were out of date. Yeah. Which, as far as I'm concerned, you should be able to shoot back at the police for that. But, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what bullshit? But anyway, I agree completely. So, so it was like parked in in like an uh, auto zone parking lot too, right? Uh, like, no, no, the kid worked at the auto zone. So, yeah, the, yeah. so the oh, kid, okay. and I say kid, I think he was 18 or 19 in the story. But yeah. uh, so he comes out, obviously is very upset that this mm-hmm. is happening, and has some words with the police officer, right? So the police officer, as he's getting ready to leave, rolls his window down, yells out to this guy and his girlfriend, you know, have a nice day. I'll be seeing you later. Whoa. He shows, yeah, which is always super cool to hear, which as if, you know, you know, just to to lay the story out, white cop, black, (laughs) black uh, youth, right? Yeah. So the cop then shows up at the auto zone in the central district that this gentleman works at. Normal. In a very normal way, he <laughs> pulls out a car or a chair from his car. Oh, also normal. Yeah. Sets it down on the sidewalk in front of the auto zone, and just proceeds to sit there. Like, but picture like a roly swivelly office chair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, barely an office chair because he's that big a piece of shit. <laughs> and he, uh, so he's sitting there, and people are coming by and asking him what's going on, and he says. Well, you know, a guy who works here, he was disrespectful for me to me, so I'm going to sit here until he comes out and apologizes to me, right? And this goes on for a while, and apparently police officers are stopping, high-fiving him, whatever, you know, like, doing, you know, like <laughs> hanging out, bringing him a juice box, I don't know, right, you know? Uh, and finally, some woman from the neighborhood walks up to him and says, hey, you know, I've heard what you're doing, and, you know, this is harassment, this is intimidation, this is fucking bullshit, and I guess shames him after 40 minutes of doing this. Finally shames him into leaving, right? They file a complaint, right? So we're in the process that we talked about in the previous episode. Mm-hmm. It goes on forever, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, it comes out that 
Spog had in his email conversations back and forth about the potential discipline for this gentleman for this cop was like, oh, well, this is a very minor offense. <laughs> like oh, we don't yeah, see right. what the problem yeah. is and and all this stuff, uh, which goes to show that the police have literally learned absolutely nothing uh, in this entire period of the consent decree. Which brings us to our next beautiful bit of news, which is uh, a little update from the uh, Spog contract debate yeah uh we had talked about there was a, a seattle police officer who had uh responded to a domestic disturbance this is back in i believe 2014 uh and he went any mini mode to decide who he's going to arrest in this disturbance mm-hmm. decides to arrest the woman who is most likely intoxicated handcuffs her puts her in the back of his car claims she tried to kick him and then he punches her in the face so hard that he breaks her eye socket yeah uh the police decide that they need to react strongly to this and fire him uh, two years later after a video comes out and the entire city loses its fucking mind that this should happen, <laughs> and it becomes extremely embarrassing. Weird. So they fire this guy. Then Spog immediately begins appealing this decision, which come, brings us all the way up to October of 2018. On October 31st, Spog, the city attorney's office, and a lawyer with SPD make a decision that they are going to not only reinstate this officer, but they're going to give him as a reward two years of back pay, amounting to probably around two hundred grand, mm-hmm. you know, for having such a great right hook, I guess, or whatever, you know, oh, because these fuck. people are fucking awful. You know, and- <laughs> Brian, that that story really sucks, but. I'm imagining them all wearing their really cool Halloween costumes, and that makes it a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) One of them was certainly dressed as a football. I think we can all agree. So they then begin an email conversation because they know this contract is coming up that essentially is going to turn back this 2017 police accountability ordinance that had been passed. It's going to completely reverse the ordinance, right? And so the police are really big on this, and Jenny Durkin has been pushing hard to get the Spog contract signed because she's a key player and essentially making the Seattle police as awful as they can possibly be. Prosecutor, right? Yeah, she was the U.S. attorney overseeing it, who actually, I mean, it was very funny going back and looking at some of that stuff, was repeatedly other uh, observers with the U.S. attorney's office would repeatedly come out and say, like, SPD is acting in bad faith, they're doing, you know, they're, they're... we should be like hammering them harder Mm -hmm. and Durkin would repeatedly come out and like tamper all that down and all that kind of shit. I mean, she's, she's their person on the inside, right? Wow. So emails finally get last week, the Seattle Times was able to grab emails that were going between the city's attorney's office, the Spog lawyers and the SPD lawyers. uh, And, they find out that on October 31st, they come down with this ruling that they knew was going to be extremely controversial, that people were going to be extremely unhappy with, and that this could potentially mess with the contract negotiation and the vote in City Hall. So they decide that they're just going to cover it up and not release any information about it until after the vote has been made. That which sounds, is That sounds like good faith. I don't... <laughs> Which is what they did, and um, it's important to point out that the SPOG contract was opposed by every community organization in the city, it was opposed by the NAACP, and it was opposed by the uh, Civilian Police Commission, which is the only, which came out of the consent decree, and is the civilian group is supposed to be Mm -hmm. watching what the police are doing and reporting on it. Uh, It was voted for eight to one. Uh, So, you know, yeah, guess who the negative or nave it was yeah, very surprising to see sally bagshaw vote that way <laughs> and so i mean uh i'll see if i can find it real quick but uh 
I mean, I think it is Sally Bagshaw. She threw a quote to the Times. I'm sure, I'm, she loves to... Which is worth... Yeah. Oh, no, Lisa Herbold, sorry, throws a quote to the Times. Where when the Times brings up, like, hey, it really looks like they're trying to, like, cover this up so you fucking morons would go vote for this <laughs> thing you shouldn't have voted for anyways. Mm -hmm. And her only response was... The idea that the parties to this negotiation would withhold information because they thought our knowing it would impact our vote is reprehensible. Read into that. They were going to vote yes on this contract no matter what. <laughs> and insulting. Because it suggests that the council is unaware of the serious problems with the appeals process and the injustice resulting from it. Knowledge that led us to work with the CPC to change that process in the 2017 Accountability Ordinance. So, in short... <laughs> It's rep yeah, it's reprehensible that they would withhold this information for us, knowing that we'd vote for this stupid thing anyways. <laughs> and uh, that we know that the accountability process is awful, which is why we voted for this ordinance in 2017, that we also know that we've just repealed right. by voting for yeah. the contract. And I like citing the CPC, who was specifically against the contract for this exact reason. So that is where we are with CLPD. I think it's now safe to say the reform process of SPD is officially done and is not going to happen yeah. in any way, shape, or form. So they're good now. Yeah. <laughs> They've been reformed. <laughs> Congratulations, <laughs> Seattle! So, yes, yes, clap. Um, do we break the champagne out? It sounds <laughs> like a big success. Yeah. That bottle's empty. <laughs> <laughs> like, all right. Uh, thanks for coming, guys. Yeah, thank really, you so much. Uh, for it was a really fun time. Thanks for having us. <laughs>